Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw! You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. How about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Hey there, what's happening on a Tuesday? Tommy Boy along for the ride today instead of Polly, who's uh, going to miss the show. Hope uh, all is well in Polly land is... He uh, seeks medical treatment, probably not the kind that he needs, but it can't hurt. Might help. And we hope that uh, all works out well with Polly today. Hope you're doing well wherever you may be. You can join us by phone today if you'd like at 437-7644 or 4ESPN44. Just came from a presentation up at the Newhouse School that I think the typical sports fan might enjoy. You might not think you would until you actually uh, get to see it, but the Newhouse School, and he's not an alum, but there's been a long-time association with a gentleman named Drew Esikoff, who is the producer now of Sunday Night Football. He's, for something like 19 years, has done a primetime game on uh, network television. I think he may have done the Sunday Night game on ESPN before doing it on NBC. He's done that for a dozen years. He's done five Super Bowls. He's won a zillion Emmys. And he used to teach a class, and that's on again, off again, but now he comes in at least does a little bit of a presentation, which he did today, and I caught the back end of it, where he puts up on a giant screen what he's looking at in the control room, you know, the truck, at the most recent Sunday night game, this great uh, Patriots-Chiefs game that we were all talking about yesterday. He's the guy who called for the buttons to be pushed that you saw what you saw, that uh, led you to see what you saw on uh, television. So he was the director of that game with Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth and Tom Brady and Pat Mahomes and the whole deal. And what he shows to the students, who a lot of them want to go into professional television and sports journalism in various capacities, is what not only what he saw on that night, but he's recorded his commands to the various people they're a part of the production. They've got something like 25 cameramen, 30 cameras. Some of them are locked down. The graphics, the replay, the all of the bells and whistles that go into creating television. And if you're a TV geek like this guy, then uh, it's really pretty interesting. Last year, he did the same thing, except the game that he showed happened to be the Super Bowl, which is the biggest television show in America, really in the world, every year. And... All of the machinery and the technology that goes into uh, putting together one of those broadcasts is very interesting, and uh, I think just any old sports fan would enjoy seeing that. It's a great uh, benefit for the students, and we thank him for coming, and uh, really kind of a neat thing. So that uh, was part of my sporting experience for the day. Two baseball games tonight. The American League and National League Championship Series continue. We've got uh, Syracuse football, of course, and the Carrier Dome on Saturday in a a homecoming, or as they call it on campus here, Orange Central matchup. Later in the week, we'll hear from Larry Fedora, the head coach of North Carolina in his seventh season, getting ready to speak with him. I was struck really by the similarities between these two teams in that Carolina's had 
a much lesser year. They're one and four. They're dealing with suspensions. They missed a game due to the hurricane. They lost to East Carolina. They got blasted by Central Florida. But their most recent loss was Saturday night at home against North Carolina. I guess that's the difference between their game and and Syracuse's. They outgained Virginia Tech big time. They ran for 235 yards. They had something like 575 yards of total offense and lost mostly because they scored only 19 points. They had seven trips to the red zone and scored 19 points in the game. And so they're looking for answers. Their sophomore running back broke out for 168 yards on the day. You got to like that if you're Carolina and Larry Fedora. Michael Carter, the sophomore from Florida, but he put the ball on the ground. He fumbled as they were going in for the score that would have put the game away. And Virginia Tech was able to answer with a long drive that uh, won it for the Hokies. So Carolina comes in in some bit of despair. Certainly it's a game that Syracuse cannot afford to lose and uh, maintain any hopes of having a truly special season or maybe even a bowl season. So uh, nothing less at stake than that for uh, Saturday at the Dome, a 12-20 start and an orange out. Have a Syracuse basketball event tonight, annual uh, sort of kickoff to the year, tip-off to the year in a way with the Boys and Girls Clubs, the Hoops for Hope dinner. So we'll see the guys out there and get to uh, introduce them to a lot of uh, good Boys and Girls Club uh, members that have uh, achieved and stayed on the straight and narrow in parts of the club and raised some money for the club, which is uh, very important to Coach Beheim and Julie and uh, all good stuff there. So uh, that's uh, kind of what's on the docket for right now. Later on the show, we'll have Cam Lynch of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They lost on the weekend to the Falcons and then fired their defensive coordinator, Mike Smith. So some work to be done there in Tampa, who got off to a great start. And I think that's one of the things we'll talk about with Cam. How fickle all this is, right? Tampa Bay starts 2-0, and and boy, it looks like they could really do some big things. They open the season on the road with a win at New Orleans in the division. Boy, how great is this? And they have largely scuffled since. They got blasted by the Bears a couple weeks ago. And Syracuse going through it, and I could say that about every team. Everybody short of the L.A. Rams or Alabama has faced some level of adversity, has been set back, has underperformed, has not had it on a given day, and uh, that's part of the game. It's a matter of uh, managing it when you don't have your best and uh, finding a way to uh, at least have some level of consistency that you can count on. So we'll talk about that with Cam Lynch on the show here in a few minutes. Adam Terry will join us tomorrow Adam would have played against Carolina the last time that this was a thing. It was a non-conference series, late 90s, early 2000s. They played here in 02, and the teams played in 02 and 03. It was in that order, Dome and then um, Keenan Stadium in Chapel Hill. And uh, they were good games, good series there, even at uh, two games apiece. So we'll uh, touch on that, but really want to get Adam's thoughts on what his expectation is for this team. As far as Coach Babers, we've got some of the comments that he made yesterday that we were unable to uh, 
work into the show. And we've got some that we'll sprinkle in over the course of the program here. The first one is the longest one that I think is important to get to. And it's really the idea that, and the reason we're going to kind of play it uh, in its entirety, is the way they approached the bye week practice. And you heard Babers allude to it a little bit on his show last Thursday. Hey, we had some conditioning, et cetera. Players didn't love it, blah, blah, blah. They had a really hard practice or two last week to kind of get everybody's attention. And it's a theme, I think, for both teams going into this game on Saturday. And it's the idea of the little things cannot be missed because they're adding up right now in the way that's losing football games for both Syracuse and North Carolina. You know, we're 4-2. We're and two. We had an opportunity to be 6-0, and oh, which is absolutely, for a lot of people, amazing. And the guys are really, really uh, putting out fantastic effort. They really are. So we had an opportunity to be hard or be nice. And I decided to be hard. We did give them their rest, but practice wasn't easy. Practice was short, but it wasn't easy. It's hard to win a college football game. It's so hard. And the difference is like like we're talking about. And all it is is one play or two plays or a string of three little plays that turn into one big play. It's important for them to realize how hard it is. And it's more of a cultural thing than anything else. You know, if we were more of a veteran group and we've had three or four winning seasons behind us, we might have went about it a different way. But we, we're not that. And if we're able to accomplish the goals that we're trying to accomplish, they'll appreciate it more. So we had a choice, and we decided we decided to do it that way. And we'll see. I could be totally wrong, and you can bring this press conference back up to me. Or I might be right, which is not really important to me. It's whether the thing that's important that they understand how hard winning is and what they're willing to sacrifice to be a winner. And so we'll see. And I don't think there was really a ton of issues about lack of sacrifice or focus or whatever before. But I think what he's trying to do is say, look, winning is hard. You've got to do a lot of things right. And going forward, because there's such a little margin for error in these games, you look at what the Orange have next. Big step up in competition from Carolina to NC State this year. Those are the next two. Then you go to Wake Forest, who's not especially good, but it is a road game. Syracuse will be competitive and will be in the game talent-wise with everybody they play the rest of the way. I suppose Notre Dame could be an exception there, but Notre Dame really hasn't blown anybody out yet. The games are going to come down to how you do execute in the red zone, how you handle turnover margin, those types of things. As it turns out right now, they match up against a North Carolina team that's been among the nation's worst in those areas. Uh, Red zone, there's something like 112th in the country. Turnover margin is minus 8 for the year in five games. That's 127th out of 130. So that's not good. So little things will matter here this weekend. You can tell the push is on by Babers and company to uh, get people in the building for homecoming, et cetera. That stuff matters. We'll talk about all of that with Cam Lynch as we continue on the show. You're in the booth. Brought to you by Marriott Syracuse Downtown. This is ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Good to be back in the booth on this Tuesday. Adam Terry on the show tomorrow. 
Dave Archer of the ACC Network broadcast on Thursday and Larry Fedora, the North Carolina head coach, on Friday's show. But we really like to dig in on Tuesdays with our friend Cam Lynch of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, former Orange linebacker. And uh, Cam, how are you? I don't know if we can fade her down there a little bit to uh, check out Cam. What's going on, man? Nothing much, man. Uh, just enjoying, the, enjoying this day off, uh, getting ready for this week. Coming up against the Browns. I can't imagine how much NFL players look forward to Tuesday. It's universally the day off in the league, and you guys are all paid well and all of that, but you bust your butt. And I know you love football, but uh, one day to uh, ease the aches and pains, I'm sure, is pretty good. Yes, it's definitely a day to, to hang out, chill. Uh, also get some community service in. Uh, reach out to your family that you haven't talked to. During the week for the busy schedule, um, just to catch up on things. So I enjoy Tuesdays, and they're they're really crucial to our success uh, for this week. Sure, and I know the community service part of it is uh, something you don't uh, take lightly. And fans watch the NFL games on the weekends, and the NFL does a great job. You'll they'll come out of a commercial break and they'll say, uh, "This week the Kansas City Chiefs went and you know went to this homeless shelter or whatever." And I know that mm-hmm. uh, Tuesday is a lot of time you do that, so it's given of your own time um, and. Everybody appreciates that, and we appreciate the time you give us. Yes, well, definitely. Thank you for having me on. Well, uh, I guess the news in the Bucks camp is a loss. You know, we were talking about being a homecoming for you, going back to Atlanta this past weekend. Uh, not only a loss, but uh, it wound up in a coaching change with uh, defensive coordinator Mike Smith, former head coach in his own right, out. And uh, Mark Duffner is now the new uh, defensive coordinator for you there, Cam. Yeah, Mark Duffner, he's now the head, uh, defensive coordinator. Uh, he's our linebacker coach. He was the head coach at Maryland uh, a few years back in his time. Uh, he was, uh, you know, coach of the year at uh, William and Mary. So, you know, he he has he has a you know incredible coach coaching lineage. Uh, I have a lot of faith in him. I was really really, really happy for him. Uh, you know, with Mike Smith, uh, he'll, he'll do it. He, he's a great coach, and um, he wouldn't have a problem landing somewhere. I'm sure. Uh, but like I said, man, big ups to Coach Duffner. And, uh, you know, I'm a linebacker. He's my linebacker coach, so I know the work he puts in, and he's well-deserving of the position. You know, when coaching changes are made, Cam, it's hard on everybody. They're made for a reason, though, that try to spur some sort of change. A lot of times the coaches themselves will say, look, I'm not necessarily going to do anything different than the other guy, but uh, they know what they've signed up for. And, and what – type of impact does that have on the locker room and in your particular group you're talking about this is the guy that heads up your unit that uh, now is the defensive boss but uh, obviously this is a message to the players yes um it, it it's a it's a change it's a shift uh coach Duffner he you know he wears his heart on his sleeve uh, I feel like he's the heartbeat of our team really uh when it comes to anything he's screaming at the practice field uh, you'll hear him anywhere you are uh, so, you know, I believe like this change, uh, with Duffer being the head, uh, you know, the head coordinator now is just gonna, it's gonna bring some juice to what we got going on. And, um, I have complete faith in him. Um, I think, you know, this having a community shit as well. Uh, and I'm just looking forward to see what he, what he can do with our defense and, um, you know, with the pieces that we have. It was a close loss on the weekend Sunday in Atlanta, 34 29, and now home. Cam for the Browns. Uh, what are you working on with Cleveland, a team who you know won one game the last two years, but reinvigorated with Baker Mayfield? We we, we had to figure out how to contain Baker Mayfield. Man, he's been he's been doing pretty well. Uh, you know, this last game, I'm not too sure how he did there. I, you know, I saw a few highlights. Uh, I saw him stumble in a few in a few plays, but 
Uh, he's a big playmaker, uh, number one draft pick. Um, you can see what he can do. He, he got their first win uh, in, in the past couple of years, so he's uh, he's explosive. So we got to get ready, get ready to go to work on Wednesday. Quick overview on the NFL at large with Cam Lynch before we get into Syracuse football. And Cam, the story of the last you know two nights, the primetime games, Sunday night and Monday night, are the stars are stars for a reason, right? Tom Brady uh, takes the best shot from the young buck in Pat Mahomes, who's going to be great. But in the end, there was enough time on the clock for the Patriots to get into field goal range and win, and Tom Brady does it again. And what happened last night in Green Bay? Aaron Rodgers does it again. And it, it seems like uh, the more football you watch, it's no fluke that the cream rises. Yeah, I feel like with those guys, you can't give those guys any opportunity. Uh, you know, when the ball's in the best player's hands at the end of the game or in, in clutch situations, they're going to make big plays. Um, and Brady showed that. Aaron Rodgers showed that. And um, it, it's it's crazy to see. It's crazy to be, to witness uh, witness those guys pulling off stunts like that. Um, and it just shows us though how how far ahead of the game that they are mentally, um, how well they can manage it, no matter how long they play for. So it's it's great to be a part of, of something like that to see those guys play. And if we come across them, we have to beat them. So let's look at another big picture thing that I think relates to uh, Syracuse. Cam, uh, the Bucks. You guys, you start off two and zero. We had you on every week here. You felt great about a road opening win against New Orleans, and then football happens, right? You go from two and zero to two and three, and for Syracuse, four and zero, feeling great, heading on the road, and then football happens. They've had chances to win on the road each of the last two weeks. They've lost um, in the fourth quarter. How do you mend that? And here's now a Syracuse team that's home for two in a row, including homecoming on Saturday. I think it's I think it's much energy how you how you prepare for the next week right every week is week to week uh, and sometimes you know, when you have low points in the season it's like the only thing you can go from here is up right you only get better from this point on so uh, I think this week you know Syracuse and the Buccaneers have to practice this week and prepare. Nope, maybe we lost him. You there, Camp? Okay, maybe we lost him, but uh, kind of get the idea of where he was going there and it's kind of the theme that we had talked about before and that is that is uh, just kind of focusing on the little things and really in an area where you talk about linebackers that's who does stop the run and we're going to get to it. Dino Baber's thoughts on what have been the issues there and we'll continue with that as we roll along here on the program get to do we care in just a moment your phone calls are welcome at 437-7644 that's 3154-ESPN-44. Back with more as we continue in the booth. Brought to you by Marriott Syracuse Downtown on ESPN Radio. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Don't care no more. I don't care. Bowling Green has fired their head coach, Mike Jinks, the man that was hired to continue what Dino Babers had going on there. They were 1-6 this season and 7-24 and during his tenure. But what became the story was how he was hired. According to the Toledo Blade, the newspaper in Toledo, when looking for a new head coach, the AD googled who had the best offense in the country, saw that it was Texas Tech, and decided he wanted to hire the top assistant on the team that they could afford, and that was the assistant head coach and running backs coach, Mike Jinks. Yeah, a lot of layers there. First of all, 
their most recent loss was to Western Michigan, who's won five in a row. Western Michigan lost its opener to Syracuse, lost the next week at Michigan, and they have not lost since. That's a pretty good team. They won by a touchdown, uh, Western did, against Bowling Green. When Dino Babers left, he left at a good time. They won their conference championship. They were in the conference championship game two years in a row. He obviously does have the goods. He brought a lot of staff with him. Mike Jenks is a, my understanding is a Tulsa uh, guy, I want to say. Or maybe I'm just confusing him with the high school of a similar name in Tulsa. But he had been at Texas Tech, had learned this system. To me, I think this is a little overblown. I don't know if I'm Molly Green that I want would want it out there because it makes the AD look silly. Every AD should have in their mind a list of three or four people that they would like to talk to for every position that they have in their entire department. That That's just common practice of a good executive. But the whole idea of, oh, they you know Googled this. Well, I think we all kind of know who does what offensively, defensively. You have a feel you, who's good at it. And when you're trying to do that and you're bowling green and you know what you can afford, you're going to try to pick off somebody who's associated with a successful program or a brand or something that you're trying to plug into. At the NFL level, it's not a whole lot different. Now, you don't have to hit Google to know who Matt Patricia is and who Josh McDaniels are and Romeo Cornell and whatever, but they're plugging into Belichick. They go about it in a slightly different way. So I don't really fault him for what he's done here. It sounds silly to say he had to, you know, that he Googled it. That That's just a term that, um, you know, akin to he looked up on Wikipedia who was, you know, if his method was slightly more polished and it led him to the same direction, nobody would really fault him. He was just trying to plug into Texas Tech and, and a lot of people have done uh, something similar to that. Just like, well, and again, I think mo- most people do favor offense over defense because it's more fun and sells more tickets. If you d- if you are hell-bent, I want a defensive-minded coach, well, you're going to look around teams associated with a certain style of play in defense, and you're going to look up who's been successful in defense. Part of any hiring, I think, I talk about this in, in my end of the business with students or people that are trying to look up, uh, move up in the broadcasting world, is sort of write the press release ahead of time. Can you see yourself being hired there? Can you? How is the place that does hire you going to present it to their public and their fan base? And that's part of what's going on here. I'm sure Bowling Green thought when they hired somebody from Texas Tech, they could say, you know, you're used to this great offense under Dino Babers, which was, you know, Dave Clawson was successful with a different kind of offense the two prior years. But, hey, we've been putting up a lot of yards and a lot of points. We want to keep that rolling. We brought in somebody associated with the prolific Texas Tech offense. So I could see where they were going, and maybe they hired a little below their means, a guy that was not maybe yet ready to be a head coach or whatever, but I'm sure there's a lot of factors there, as is often the case when you win only seven games out of 31. Yeah, on paper it makes sense to want to continue their offensive uh, power, I guess, that they had going on with Dino Babers, but it's it's interesting to, to hear how unsophisticated the hiring process became, I guess, with, with their yeah, AD. Yeah, I'm telling you it was more sophisticated than that. Sure, uh, but the beginning of it, I guess, was yeah. you know, in other words, how it sparked. In other words, if you were in the market for a car, and you Googled uh, fast convertibles, it doesn't mean you don't know anything about cars. Sure, okay. You know, it's just a jumping off point. It's a starting point. Yep. Okay. Uh, Giants owner John Mara is speaking for the first time since Odell Beckham Jr.'s interview on ESPN came about, where he 
seemed to not be happy with New York or, or made comments that he didn't know if he was happy about New York. And John Maris said that, quote, he needs to do a little more playing and a little less talking. No, no doubt about it. First of all, John Mara and the Mara family, historically, they don't speak a lot at all. They're a buttoned-up class operation. They're quiet. They don't do their work through the newspapers and through the media. They're the opposite of, let's say, the Steinbrenner family in the same market. You know, When they fired Ben McAdoo, which seemed to be a no-brainer, it's like the first time they've ever fired a coach while the season was ongoing. So John Mara doesn't speak up unless something's really serious. And he's 100% right about this, and that's not just because he signs the checks. All these guys, and you know, I'm all for personality and stuff, but just play. You know, the Giants have all kinds of problems, and it's not just Eli Manning, the quarterback. Beckham is, you know, by everybody's account, nobody would dispute. He's a tremendous athlete. He's one of the best you know, physically gifted, most talented players in the NFL. Nobody debates that. Just get out there and play and do what you can to make your team better, even if it's only incremental and uh, the Giants are a mess and they got a long way to go. Do you believe they might be regretting signing him long-term this offseason? I don't know about that. I think you know when you go into it, this guy's a different kind of cat. He's going to be a distraction. He's going to be a squeaky wheel, you know, if there's a problem. And you know that. that that's why... Everybody would love if you know Larry Fitzgerald was still the best wide receiver in the NFL. Everybody would love to have him on their team, but he's not anymore. His, his skills erode with time, and so it's all trade-offs, and you go with the best you can get. Odell's talent still outweighs the off-field star. Well, who knows if it outweighs, but it's part of the trade-off. Sure, <laughs> you know, okay. You pay for both. NBA analyst Hubie Brown is 85 years old. He is he signed a multi-year extension to continue broadcasting. He has called 17 NBA Finals, the most by a broadcaster when combining radio and television, and has called every Finals for ESPN Radio since 2007. Yeah, he's awesome. I've never met uh, Hubie Brown personally, but I know lots of people who have, and they work with him. Sharp as attack, still does the work. He still flies, you know, commercial to these games. Watches a ton of film. He, you know, you're looking here, Tommy. I've got my spotting boards for the. Syracuse, uh, North Carolina uh, football game. We put a lot of work on these. His, they call the the, the Hubie Brown chart, is a very specific uh, layout, statistically driven, that he's sort of worked off for many years. There's a, a method to his madness and in how he's done that. He, he teaches the game. Uh, you know, people who follow the NBA a lot closer than I do, you know, can go chapter and verse with him with with the various teams he's he's been with and back to the Knicks and and all that time, but. Uh, He's tremendous, seems to be uh, still very sharp at 85 years old. And if, uh, you know, a guy like Mike Tirico, who, you know, we all around here look up to, if, if he says Hubie's the best, then I think Hubie's the best. And good for him to, to keep it going. Who knows how many games and how much travel and exactly what his role is going to be. But if he wants to keep doing it and he's still doing it at a high level, more power to him. The ESPN broadcast for NBA is great. Mark Jones, Hubie Brown is their number two. And then, and then, and they're really good. And they're number one of, of Mike Breen, Jeff Van Gundy, yep. and, uh, uh, Mark Jackson, great broadcast for ESPN uh, of, of the NBA. Yeah, a lot of games, and you know, certainly guys who've seen the league game in and game out, year in and year out for as long as they have, uh, bring a lot to the viewers and the listeners. And so, you can catch uh, Hubie Brown on the uh, radio in the NBA Finals, uh, usually with Mark Kestisher uh, late in the season. So, look forward to that. That's just getting started. The NBA uh, tonight and tomorrow around the country. There. 
opening up and their 82-game schedule seems like it goes on forever, and then the playoffs go on uh, six weeks in their own right. So that's uh, coming up. All right, thank you, Tommy. No problem. We will be back with uh, more of that Dino Babers sound from his press conference yesterday, some of the things that he has laid out here at the beginning of the week that he thinks are most important leading into the North Carolina game. Uh, touch on some of the things that are themes from a North Carolina perspective and Larry Fedora as we continue as well. You're listening to In the Booth on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Back in the booth on this Tuesday. Good to have you with us here until the top of the hour today. Brought to you by Marriott Syracuse downtown. Then we uh, will have Adam Terry tomorrow. Dave Archer of ACC Network on Thursday. And North Carolina head football coach Larry Fedora on Friday. So all of that's uh, coming up over the course of the week. If you'd like to join us by phone, you can do that at 437-7644 or 4ESPN44. Tomorrow night is the Dino Babers Show brought to you by AmeriCU over at Press Room Pub. And we'll uh, spend some time, obviously, with Coach Babers on the show, as we always do. His guest this week is defensive tackles coach uh, Vincent Reynolds. Looking forward to that. And uh, talking about what the Orange defensive line has done a good job of this year. One thing that leaves some room for improvement, obviously, is stopping the run. And Dino Babers was asked about it a great deal yesterday at his press conference. It's very apparent that that's been an issue for the Orange in the last uh, two games. And obviously the coaches haven't missed it either. It's not that easy. It's, it's numerous things. You know, It's a mental mistake here not being in the right spot. There's physical mistakes where you don't show up in a spot, or now you're in that spot and you don't make the tackle. And then sometimes it's just a really, really good back running into a guy and crunching some bones, and the guy can't hold on and the guy keeps going. So when you tie all those things in, that's the stuff that adds up to some of the numbers that we've been getting. And, you know, to me, forget about the numbers, although they haven't been good. It's the idea that it's sort of been inevitable. It looks like the last two weeks, particularly at Clemson, where – Clemson wanted to take the ball out of the hands of their redshirt freshman quarterback, Chase Bryce, who had not played much. At that point, they're down to their third quarterback. Yes, their third quarterback is better than most people's third quarterback, but nobody really wants to be relying on that in a game that they can't afford to lose, etc. And so they handed off to their great running back, and he pounded it, pounded it, pounded it, ran for 200 yards. The Pittsburgh game, the same way, you know, you get to overtime, they didn't have to really risk it and put themselves in position to maybe go over in that first overtime. Get it on the ground, pound it, pound it, pound it, score. Now the pressure is really on Syracuse to make something happen. We all know what happened first play, a throw into the end zone that was intercepted. So uh, work needs to be done on that. You're not going to get bigger linebackers or more experienced linebackers overnight. They're going to have to make incremental improvements, find ways to cover. We'll uh, talk with the coaches about just what they have in store and and finding a way, but certainly it's uh, not a secret. And North Carolina does like to run the football. They ran for 235 last game and lost. Their issue hasn't been moving it on the ground. It's been cashing it in when they get to the red zone. And probably a question we should ask uh, Larry Fedora is the idea of, how compelled do you feel to do that? Well, they probably already thinking we want to run the rock anyway. They've played three quarterbacks this season. I don't think they're thrilled with any of them. One is injured significantly is out of the other two. They've got a decision to make. 
They have no seniors on their entire offense for the most part. For all intents and purposes, they have zero seniors. They have one wide receiver that's caught 11 balls as the only player listed as a senior on the offense. Nathan Elliott has started every game for them this year, but he struggles with accuracy, missed a couple of touchdown throws in the Virginia Tech game. They put Cade Fortin, a true freshman, into the game, and then he got hurt with a right knee injury, so he's questionable. Fedora says they will They typically decide on Thursdays who is going to be the uh, starting quarterback. Chase, uh, Chaz Surratt is another quarterback that's played just a little bit this year, but he is out for the season with a wrist injury. So that's not a strength for them, the quarterback position. Running back might be. And Michael Carter, the sophomore, ran for nearly 170 himself last week. As for the Dino Baber's approach, it's not only how do you stop the run defensively, I think he wants to see more consistency offensively and really some explosiveness. And one of the things that's been typical of his offense, we are just talking about why people would want to plug into this Baber's offense, etc., is the big numbers that have been put up. They were put up at Bowling Green. They were put up at wide receiver here at Syracuse by Amba Adetawo, Steve Ishmael, Irv Phillips in successive years. So now the question is who can stick out for Syracuse in that regard and who can be the guy that week after week puts up big numbers as Jamal Custis did in the opening game. Babers uses a North Carolina reference to point out that it's not that easy. So it's no different with uh, those receiver cores of the past. If you've got somebody that's going to stand out, as you would say, it's as easy as just throwing the ball up there and, and, and they can make a play for you. So why not go ahead and do that? But if you don't have anybody standing out, then until someone does stand out, that the ball normally gets spread around until someone comes to the forefront that says, hey, if you haven't noticed yet, I'm Michael Jordan and you need to get me the ball more. Well, we're still looking for Michael. Well, and so is everybody. You know, Michael Jordan is, you know, if you really want to go to literally, Michael Jordan is an extreme anomaly, one of the best and not only most gifted but hardest working best that ever attempted to play basketball. You know, most people would say he's the best player of all time. And if he's not, he's certainly in the discussion. They don't need that. They don't need the best player of all time or the best player on the team even right now. What they need is somebody that can be consistently a threat that has to be paid attention to. They, He did say that he expects to have Ravian Pierce back this game, and Pierce is no Michael Jordan. But He's a guy that might give you a dimension that you haven't had offensively in the last couple of games, and that's working the middle of the field. Get the tight end and seams and create some matchup issues that Pierce can do, and Pierce certainly is a fiery guy and I think brings something there. I think returning home is the biggest thing the Orange have going for them this week, and it's the idea of homecoming and a chance to be on settled ground here, mostly healthy, in need of a win, having played well enough to win the last two games, but uh, just not finishing, and then coming off a bye. North Carolina is coming off a game clearly where it didn't finish. And the Tar Heels have had a very unusual season. The rolling suspensions that they've had to deal with have meant that they really haven't been whole in any given game for the year just kind of looking around at their 
regulars here, and I don't see a lot of guys that have played in all five games. Nathan Elliott, the quarterback, has. One of their, well, two of their uh, running back core have. One or two of about six wide receivers have. And then on defense, there's been that idea of the rolling suspension. They haven't used the same starting defensive line in every game. Linebackers have been okay. The secondary, not so much. As coaches often do, this is back to the Lou Holtz book of playing up your opponent. Dino Babers has pointed out how he thinks that might actually benefit Carolina. The front part of their record doesn't look so good. They remind me of a team that's beat up with injuries, what's happened to us a little bit on the back end in November. So you take these guys out of the lineup, it's like they have major injuries. You're putting other guys in. They're not truly jiving with each other on offense and defense, and now you have the record that you have. Well, those guys are all coming back. They're getting their starting lineups back in, and the flip side of that coin is they're fresh because they haven't been playing games. So they're going to be the freshest team going down the stretch. Well, that's a glass-half-full way to uh, look at your opponent. He's not wrong, but, again, they haven't played together. They haven't built up rhythm. You can look at that as saying, well, that explains part of how they've lost games, but they also haven't been themselves and you know have an opportunity to regain that down the stretch. We'll see. This is a game where Syracuse has at least as good of players as the opposition. They've played better football this year, need to win the game. I think they will win the game, but uh, that's why they play them. And uh, we will find out. We'll be a whole lot smarter by 4 o'clock on Saturday than we are right now. It's a 12.20 start time on Saturday on Homecoming or Orange Central. So lots of people coming back to campus. Lots going on on Friday night. Big field hockey game. Syracuse and Louisville field hockey on Friday. That's huge on ACC Network Extra. Then uh, the Orange and Carolina on uh, Saturday And so the guys will be getting their programming, Gomez and Lisa with Adam Terry at at 9, down at the Sheridan, and so on and so forth. Brian and uh, Julian Wiggum on the quad at 10. You can hear those on TK99, of course, the ESPN radio programming with Steve and Seth and the whole gang. And then uh, Seth Everett postgame will be uh, here for you on ESPN Radio 97.7. So that's uh, kind of the plan for what's to come on the weekend from a programming standpoint. And for us, uh, we'll talk more Orange football tomorrow, as we mentioned, with uh, Adam Terry. Then on Thursday, get into the matchup from an ACC Network perspective with Dave Archer. And on Friday, hear from Carolina head coach Larry Fedora. What we want to see is you on the field on Saturday. We're going to pick a winner for this tomorrow. They'll be our contestant to get on the field. That's selected on Wednesday. So be ready to call as soon as we uh, close off the show here. You can fire away at 437-7644-4ESPN44. Our fifth caller will be entered into a drawing, and then tomorrow you have a chance to be picked to uh, go on the field to uh, kick a field goal during the uh, Syracuse-North Carolina football game. If you hit it, you are $1,000 richer from uh, ESPN Radio Syracuse. So thank you for listening. Best of luck. First with your fingers to dial and then with your feet and leg on Saturday. Good luck to all. Hopefully we'll get a chance to even talk to that contestant. So for Polly, who uh, whiffed on us today, and for Tommy, who held down the fort, I'm Matt saying so long. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon, everybody, on ESPN Radio.